Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Two Cities Church, whether you're watching online or you're in the lobby, I see you, or you're in this room. We love stories like Kirsten's. Uh, and what you heard there, that's just one of you know, many stories, really hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories in our church of people meeting Jesus and being made into his disciples. And every story is different, but every story is kind of the same, right? It's a story of being forgiven by Jesus and then being freed to live for Jesus. You'll hear a lot about uh, the penalty of sin was paid for. Now I'm, I'm learning to run and live uh, far away from the power and the pollution of sin. And so we love stories like Kirsten's. We believe here, as we look toward Easter the next two weeks, uh, we believe that we don't serve a dead Jesus, but a living Jesus who everything that we read in the New Testament, we're like, oh, that was neat what he did. No, that is still what he is doing. And so we celebrate that. We celebrate that what Jesus does, you heard it in that story, is he reveals and then deals with our idols, Right? So he revealed to her, to Kirsten, that her boyfriend had become an idol and then dealt with that, right? And, and things, anything can become an idol in our life, right? And, an idol is when a good thing becomes a God thing. When a desire becomes a demand. When something in creation becomes more important than the creator. So we, we thank God for stories like Kirsten's. Uh, and as we talk about that, and as we talk about Christ, and as we talk about following and living for a living Christ, I just want to take a moment and remind us about Easter. Easter if you're new, is the, and if you're new to Christianity, welcome, is the Super Bowl for Christians, okay? Uh, last Easter was the first time we had to be online only, and I, over, you know, I think in the history of the church in America, for sure, that we had to be online only during Easter. This year, we're going to be having five services. Uh, so two on Saturday, three on Sunday. You can find out more details. We'll, we'll send emails. It'll be online. Uh, but let me just say this. Uh, for many of you, this may be the time to invite somebody. Now, I never have gotten up here and said, please invite everyone next week. I never wanted to create a type of church where we have to tell you to invite people. Oh, is it, it, it'll be great next week. Please invite your friends. We want to create such an environment where like the spirit of God is moving and my life is being changed. And I, I know people who are far from God and close to me and I think it would be helpful. And so, so Christianity is primarily a go and tell religion, right? We're only here for an hour or two on Sundays and then we go and tell the rest of the week where we live, learn, work and play. But every once in a while, a go and tell becomes a come and see. That's what happens. So you're there and the come and see isn't always through our church. Sometimes the come and see is to the dining room table, to your house. Hey, come and see my family. Come and see what Christ has done in my life. I want you to meet my wife. I want you to meet my kids. Sometimes the come and see is to your community group. We are, you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be surprised, how many different stories we're hearing of non-Christians, their first contact with the Christian community not being the church anymore. It's not the Sunday school class anymore. It's other community groups. But every once in a while, and Easter, Christmas, or normal times where this works out well, every once in a while, you have that relationship with that person who's far from God, close to you, and it's the right time. Easter's the right time, or Christmas is the right time for you to invite them. So we think that's a unique opportunity. We wanna take a moment, just pray for our Easter services. They are a unique time where people who otherwise don't come to church show up. Sometimes just for a Sunday. Sometimes they just watch online that one time. We wanna be ready with the gospel of Jesus Christ for them. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that still in, in our society, Lord, there are these moments in the calendar of Americans where at least Easter to some extent is on their mind or it shows up or they have some familiarity with it. And it is one of the Sundays where a person who otherwise would not go to church is most likely to come. Lord, I pray you'd put someone on our hearts. If there's somebody that we just need to share the online broadcast with, or we need to invite to personally, or we need to... Uh, invite to a service and go with them and sit with them. Lord, I pray you would give us wisdom on that. Lord, I also just want to take a moment and pray for our college students. As we remember, I uh, just heard the testimony of Kirsten. We just pray for our college students. 
at all these different campuses, we know that it's, uh, any time is a hard time to be a college student. It's been hard in the midst of COVID. We know that there is unique temptations and unique trials to the college campus, but also great opportunities. So much free time, so many major decisions being made, and everybody's leaving the college campus to go somewhere else. Lord, help us to be a church that deeply loves and deeply invests in college students. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can type to or turn to Matthew 7, 7. That's an easy verse, Matthew 7, 7. We're gonna be looking at six verses today. Uh, We are coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been saying this, the Sermon on the Mount is the most famous sermon ever given by the most famous person ever, Jesus. And Jesus, for a third time in the sermon, is gonna deal with prayer. Now, I gotta admit, like, you know, when I was preparing the sermon, I'm like, what am I going to say about prayer? We have already talked about prayer. We already did the Lord's Prayer. Um, so now we're to a different uh, place in the scriptures where he's gonna say, you're gonna see this in a moment. You can look down at verse seven if you want to, but he's gonna say, ask and you will find, and, or ask and it'll be given to you, and seek and you'll find, and knock and the door will be open. We're, we're gonna get to that in a moment. But, but I just thought about how prominent Jesus, uh, his teaching on prayer is. Well, first of all, he modeled prayer, right? So Jesus, this is an interesting thought if you've never had this thought. Jesus prayed, I don't know if it's so much, I don't know if it's so well, I don't know if it's so different. Whatever he did, he prayed so much that in one of the accounts in the gospels, his disciples, we don't know exactly how it happened, but his disciples looked at him and said, would you please teach us how to pray? I mean, that, that is worth thinking about for a long time because it's like these guys were church kids. The, I mean, they, they went to camp, they went to retreats, they went to VBS, I mean, they're, they're the Jewish version of all that. I mean, they, they, they grew up, their, whole, their mom and dad prayed. They prayed longer prayers than you've ever heard or ever sat through. They, they had a culture that prayed all the time. So this is unbelievable. The disciples look to Jesus and they go, okay, we've kind of been church kids our whole life, been around prayer our whole life, been praying our whole life. Would you teach us to pray? Now they don't ever ask, would you teach us to preach? But there was something unique about Jesus's prayer life. Now we know Jesus prayed, it says Mark 1.35, he'd get away and pray by himself. It says in Luke 5, he got away often to desolate places to pray. We know, according to John chapter 11, he prayed publicly. Lazarus dies, he's like, look, I don't normally pray out loud because God always hears me, but I'm gonna pray out loud for you guys so that you know that God is real. So he prays out loud there. When he's headed to the cross, he brings his disciples, he's like, guys, come here. And and he puts some here and then he brings his three best friends. He says, hey guys, listen, I need you to pray with me. I'm gonna be going through a really hard time and please don't forget me in prayer. They fall asleep, right? (laughs) We've done that. Um, But Jesus prays. Then Jesus prays for the church. That's John 17. He has this really long prayer. People call it the high priestly prayer. He prays it for the church. Then he he goes to the cross and on the cross he's praying. And then it says now in heaven, the risen Jesus Christ is interceding and praying for us. So so that's a lot of prayer. And then he's always teaching on prayer. Uh, Three of his parables are on prayer. The unjust uh, judge or the persistent widow. Is, is on, uh, whatever you want to call that one, that, that's on prayer. He has another one, uh, the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, many consider that a parable on prayer. He has the friend who comes at midnight and knocks on the door and asks for bread, and that's a parable on prayer. So, so Jesus taught about prayer so much, and it, it must be, right? Because then if you go to the book of Acts, I know we're covering a lot of territory here, but I just want you to think about for a second, because we're going to talk about how little we pray. But first, I want you to understand how much Jesus prayed. He, he, you know, he was the sinless son of God, and he felt like he needed to pray all the time. Then we have, we get to the book of Acts and I won't take you there right now, but if you just think for a moment on a couple of things, it's like, you know, the Holy Spirit falls in a powerful way while they're praying. That when Peter is in jail, it says they prayed all night for him. 
It says that when Paul and Silas were in jail together, they were tied up with one another, and these were terrible jail conditions, and it says they were doing two things. They were singing hymns and praying. And so I say all that to say, why don't we pray? Why is it that for us, right, we, we, we don't struggle so much with unanswered prayer. Some of, we'll talk about that today. We do a little bit. We struggle more with unoffered prayer. We don't pray very often. And, and I thought about this. I thought, why do we pray so little? Because what, what, what happens today, a couple things. First, I think prayer has been replaced in our culture. I don't know if I had to ask you, how, what has prayer been replaced with? I think there's lots of answers for that. But one of the things that prayer has been replaced with is just thinking about things. Right? I remember a guy was discipling me and he was asking me to do something. He was challenging me on something. And I'll never forget, he looks at me and goes, I want you to pray about this, not just think about it. And he said, it's different. Thinking about it is just you and you know, you're the Google bar. And, and I Google things, right? We don't ask God, we Google. We, we don't request things from God, we research. So I think one of the things we do is we just have positive thinking conversation with ourselves. What's another thing we do instead of praying? I don't know, have you heard of this new fad of just like meditation and emptying your mind? Someone said to me the other day, they said, are you doing this? They said, are you, about 10 minutes in the morning when you first get up, you just empty your mind. I said, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, but, but so meditation is a, meditation, by the way, is a biblical concept, but meditation is I fill my mind with God's word. That's the biblical idea of meditation. The new age meditation is I empty my mind of everything and don't think about anything. Uh, so now, we're not against therapy, we're not against counseling, but how many people, instead of ever talking to God about things, they just talk to other people? I don't know, how to, I need to meet a, I, right? I'm either in therapy or I'm in denial. I need to talk to a professional about this. We, we have all these things. And then to make it worse, not only have we replaced prayer, prayer is now, I don't know if you've noticed this, and it's really, you know, I'm tired of talking about COVID. You're tired of hearing me talk about COVID, but let me just talk about COVID for one more second. Um, so, <laughs> um, but what, what happened in COVID, among other things, right? COVID brought the future into the present. And that's what happens with crisis and all that. But um, one of the interesting things is when COVID first happened, about a year ago now, we were kind of in the, in the middle of it, when it first hit, all over, I think it was mostly Twitter, there was a hashtag, because you know, things will trend and hashtags will trend. There was one of the most trending hashtags was hashtag thoughts and prayers. Which again, fairly normal thing for someone to say if they mean it. Like it's, a, it's actually a fairly, you know, if you've ever been going through something and a Christian says that to you, it's actually fairly comforting. If they mean it, it's like, well, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and I just, and I wanted to know, you to know that. Well, I guess there was several, you know, mostly celebrities and all that kind of stuff who basically came out and said, enough with the thoughts and prayers. We don't need any more, you know, there's no help from above. It's us that we're waiting for. Prayer does nothing. We need to get to work. And if you'll, even to this day, if you'll look up thoughts and prayers, it's often a hashtag that's now a joke or it's now mocked by the culture. Well, what's interesting, I'm gonna read you Matthew 7, 7 through 7, 12. What's interesting is Jesus doesn't talk about prayer apart from having a plan. We'll see in this. He doesn't talk about supplication, that's an old word for praying, uh, apart from having a strategy. He doesn't talk about our vertical relationship with him apart from our vertical, or our vertical relationship with him, apart from our horizontal relationship with others. He's going to attach prayer to the golden rule. Let's look at this. Uh, if you'll turn with me, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Here's what it says. Unbelievable. Try to hear this for the first time. Ask and it will be given to you. You're like, that would be enough. That sounds like a massive uh, promise and uh, command and promise. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. You're like, that seems pretty clear and straightforward. And, and if I just have those verses, I should be, we all should probably be praying way more than we are. And we could see how people who believe that would pray a lot. And then he says this, he's like, if you don't get this, let me tell you a little story. So he, he does this oftentimes, and this is what good teachers do. It's like, here's a principle, and then here's a story to kind of understand it. He says this, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Now, you know, you could argue, does a stone and bread kind of from a distance look the same, maybe, but they're very, very different. He says, well, he's not gonna confuse that. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then who are evil, isn't it amazing how just honest Jesus is about our hearts? <laughs> if you, just I'm gonna say this, if you who are evil, there you go. Um, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, right? We talked about this weeks ago. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you do that, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, this is where he connects the golden rule to a life of prayer. Because what is going to sustain sacrificial service to others is the private prayer closet. And here's what he says. So, in other words, or therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, unbelievable passage, especially if we just look one more time at verse seven, and I won't read it again. You can see it there, but it's asking and it's seeking and it's knocking. And I had to ask this question, and th this is a good thing to do, by the way. It's like when you're reading the Bible, if you want to get a lot out of the Bible, there's a couple like, I don't know, you could, I don't know if it's appropriate to call them Bible hacks, but, um, but um, one, a question you can ask if, if you want a text to often open up in a new way to you is ask this, why do we resist this truth? Like what, what's wrong with my heart that I can read like, what's wrong with me that I can read Matthew 7, 7 and pray no more this week than I did last week? Like, what's wrong with my heart? I think there's three, at least, you know, at least three reasons why we don't pray more, why we don't hardly pray at all, right? I mean, for, for us, it's, our prayer lives are either inconsistent or non-existent, right? And I'm not gonna have us raise our hands who's who, okay? But <laughs> neither is great. We're either inconsistent or our prayer life is non-existent. And I think there's three reasons. Number one, these are what we tell ourselves, okay? We tell ourselves this, I'm too busy to pray, right? If you, I don't know if you've heard this before. Martin Luther, the famous monk, you know, he, he used to say, I'm way too busy not to spend the first three hours in prayer. That was a very famous Martin Luther quote. But we, we feel very, very busy. And, and again, we are busy, right? You're busy, I'm busy. You're working 40, 50, 60 hours. We've got, some of us have kids and we have homes to take care of. But here's what's interesting. The newest study just came out. The average American spends almost two and a half hours a day on social media. Unbelievable. I mean, and, and you, you, you'll kind of, I don't know if you've ever had this happen before, you'll see somebody you haven't seen in a while and you'll know a bunch about them. You're like, oh yeah, I saw that. You got married. I saw that on Facebook. And you, I'll do that every once in a while. I'm like, how much am I on Facebook? How is it that everybody I see, I know what's going on in their life. It's like, I must be on that a lot more than I think, right? Because you don't realize that five minutes here and seven minutes here and scrolling here. And so, so that's two and a half hours. And John Piper, okay, former pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, he said he believes that Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, he tweeted about this, ironically. Um, uh, <laughs> he did. Uh, he said that Twitter and Instagram and Facebook will prove at the final judgment that prayerlessness was not because of lack of time. And then we find out that, and again, I, I don't think guilt is a, is, is a long-term good motivation, but I'm just, I, so I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but I'm trying to let us all kind of realize this. So we say we don't have time. We, the average person spends, I think it's 145 minutes a day on social media. 
So two hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 25 minutes. Um, and then they said, the, it's a little harder to track people's streaming because people have so many different you know, devices and they have so many different services. They estimate the average American is now streaming 20 hours of content a week, which is about, you're like, that sounds like a lot. We only watch three shows a night. I'm like, well, that's 20 hours a week. <laughs> uh, and the average American has four streaming services. And so what's interesting is, is we're realizing, and I just only say that to say, there's, there's obviously something wrong with our hearts that we don't want to go to God in prayer. We want to just be entertained. The second reason, uh, I th or the second thing I think we tell ourselves, or the second reason maybe that we don't pray is this, we don't feel like we need anything. Right? I mean, God's like, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the I mean, it's an unbelievable three promises. And we're like, I don't think we need anything. Right? This is why, I mean, what, what is everybody, I'm not knocking on anybody. I'm not thinking about any one person. What do we norm, what makes the prayer list? Bobby's belly and Timmy's tummy and Sally's stomach. It, it's, it's always body parts. That's all we pray for. And we should, we need to be praying for health. But what does that tell us? We only pray when sickness and suffering, illness and injury come. That's, all, that's the only thing we think we need. Other than, God, other than that, we got it good. I mean, do I need to pray when we have antibiotics? I mean, how much do we need to pray when we have non-invasive surgeries? I, I don't know if I need to pray for my daily bread. I've got a deep freezer in my basement and a Costco membership. I, I don't need, right? We don't say these things out loud, but it shows up in that we don't, and, and you know, by the way, prayerlessness is a form of pride. Not asking, right? That's often a form of pride. How many of us ha had a dad growing up who would never ask for directions ever? <laughs> it's like, dad, we've been lost for 30 minutes. I'm not asking anybody. It's all right, all right. Not asking can often be a form of pride. The, um, so the first reason, you know, we, we, we don't ask because we don't, or second reason is we don't ask because we don't think we need anything. First reason is we think we're too busy. But there's a third reason. The third reason is we don't believe that it actually makes a difference. And I think that's, right? What would your life be like? This is kind of what we say every week. What would your life be like? What would my life be like if we believe this verse? But it's kind of, like, prayer is kind of a mysterious thing, right? Because have you ever done this? You're like, well, I prayed for it and it happened, but it might've happened anyway. I don't know if you ever had that thought. Like, I prayed and it happened, but it might happen anyway. I didn't pray and it happened. So maybe I did. Maybe. I prayed and the opposite happened. It's like, my head hurts, right? It's like, that's a lot of, I don't, so we're trying to figure it out. We don't actually believe that prayer works. But the, the conviction here is that if we ask God, he hears us and he responds to us. And so what I want us to do with our time left is I want us to look at this ask, seek, and knock. And I want us to ask some questions together. Look one more time. You have it right there at verse seven. Verse seven says, ask and you will find, or ask and it will be given to you. Um, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open. Let's, let's talk at each one. By the way, you'll see that it's progressive prayer, right? It's, it's not just ask, that'd be great. It's ask and then seeking is another step on top of asking, Right? And then knocking is the next step. And you're like, how do you remember that? Well, it's actually the, it's actually the acronym ASK. Ask, seek, knock, okay? Um, so I know it's cheesy, uh, but now you won't forget it. Okay, so, so ask, seek, knock. It's progressive, it's persistent, it's passionate, right? It's fueled by these promises that God has made to us. Um, now, here's the question. Why do we ask God things? And this is actually a really, and these are good questions to ask yourself. A good Bible reader is a confused Bible reader. So if you're like, well, why do I ask God things? Like, doesn't he know everything? In fact, you know, scripture interprets scripture. It's like, well, flip, you don't need this right now. If you flip back to chapter six, Pastor Stephen told us a few weeks ago, and it was exactly right. We're reading chapter six, and he's like, uh, don't 
I'm paraphrasing, but don't pray long prayers because he already knows what you need. Which would lead me to go, then why am I asking? Right? Am I trying to, I mean, these are, these are legitimate questions. Am I trying to convince God of something? Is God stubborn? Is God reluctant? Is God ignorant? I mean, these are all fair questions if you're just like, well, then why would I ask? And it's amazing. There's this one of my favorite stories is in, in The Magician's Nephew, which is part of the Narnia collection. The children are riding on, it's, it's a fictional book. The children are riding on the back of uh, this magical horse. And Aslan represents Christ in, in the story. And they're riding on the back of this magical horse. And one of the children realizes they forgot to bring food. And they, they say to the horse, we forgot to bring food. And then they say to the horse, didn't Aslan know that we needed food? And the horse said, he did, but he likes to be asked. That's a great lesson. He knew what we needed, but he likes to be asked. So let me tell you a couple reasons we ask. Number one, we ask because God is highly relational. God is highly conversational. What prayer is, is prayer is communion and conversation with God, right? Very simple definition. It's more than that. It's an encounter and experience with God, but it's communion with God. And we ask because God is highly relational and this is what you do, right? This is what you do with your kids. It's like, I want to talk about it. Okay, yeah, I'm going to still give it to you, but let's talk about it. <laughs> I want to know why you want it. Yeah, I actually know why you want it, but I want to hear you tell me why you want it. Let, let, let's have this conversation. So part of why God, and this kind of gets us out of the like, why isn't God answering all my prayers right away? It's like, well, actually, it's not about getting something. It's more about being with someone. And so he says, okay, first of all, it's highly relational. Second, it's about participating with God in what he's doing in the world. That's what prayer's about, which should make it incredibly exciting. It's like, well, you know, God's saving people and he's, he's bringing people to Christ all over the nation and he's healing marriages and he's raising up the next generation. And somehow through ministry, but through prayer, I get to be a part of all that. Now, and anyone who's ever a father or mother, I'm a father obviously, so I'll use my illustration, but who's a father of young children, you kind of get this. Anytime you invite your kids into something, is, young kids, is it more productive? No, definitely not. <laughs> um, but like, like so give you, uh, give you kind of a silly example, but I've, and I'm not super into this, um, but, but I, I'm trying to get a little bit into mountain biking um, just because, you know, being outside and all that. And so I, I started to mountain bike a little bit and I'm not great and I don't go far and I don't go on any real crazy trails. But, um, but anyway, I started to go and I'm liking it. And so I want my son to like it too. So I got him a mountain bike. Now he's seven. So then we went together and I realized I can't ride the same trail that I used to ride. And I realized this is gonna take maybe three or four times as long to do. And it's no longer gonna be an exercise for dad. But it was so much fun for the most part, okay? <laughs> but you know, any of us dads know or moms know what that's like. It's so exciting because what, what did you do? You made memories? You're, you're, you're kind of, you're experiencing it more through their eyes. You're watching them get things. That's the exact same thing God's doing with us with prayer. So, so there's kind of, you can think of it, there's, there's, there's reasons vertically for our relationship with God that we ask, I just told you. It's that he's highly relational, wants to talk to us about things. Everything and anything. And he wants us to, he doesn't just want to be with us, he wants to do something with us. Okay, that's that. And then there's kind of two reasons for you that we ask, for, for me that we ask. One is, and this is so simple, but you'll get this if you'll think about it for a while. One, the reason that we ask is so that we know what we want. You know, I mean, I don't won't put you on the spot because be, it would be awkward for both of us. But, but, if I, but if I asked any of you right now, or, you know, what do you want out of your relationship with God? You, I mean, maybe you would, but most of you would probably stumble and fumble and mumble. 
If, if we put each other, any of us, I'm, not, I'm saying, if I put you on a spot, I said, what do you want out of your marriage? Like, think about it and tell me, articulate it. What do you want for your kids? What you'll realize that it's kind of humbling. You won't know. You'll just start saying things. And usually what happens is then you start to realize, well, maybe that's not the best thing. As soon as I said it out loud, it kind of sounded stupid. And part of what prayer is, and part of what I think why we don't know ourselves very well anymore is we just don't talk about anything. Prayer is where you share your deepest desires. This is why a lot of couples will not pray together. Married couples, it's too uncomfortable. It's too romantic. It's too emotional if we're really praying. Because you're sharing in prayer your heart. I remember when, I, when our kids were really, really young. Uh, at night, we would, and they're still young, but they were even younger. And, and I said to them, we would ask them, you know, most nights, hey, we're trying to simplify things. Hey, what's one thing I can pray for you for? And what was amazing about prayer is, you know, kids are just so honest at that age. So you just see immediately what's on their heart, no matter what it is. And there was a whole season where one of my kids, the prayer request every night was dry pull up, please. <laughs> can I wake up in the morning and have a dry pull up? I'm like, I'd be praying the same prayer if I was your age. You know, I get it. <laughs> but, it was, but I loved it because it was so honest. There, there was a time where my, my son, um, he was probably five, and hey, what, what do you want me to pray for you? That I would grow up and be a ninja. Well, I'm praying for that, okay? To the glory of God, but I'm praying for it. But, but what's amazing about that is, is that is that you see in a kid's heart and you see in your heart, like when you really pray, you start to reveal what's in your heart. The second reason that you ask is you say, am I ready to receive? Am I really, I mean, we think we are, right? It's like, am I ready to receive what God's about to give me? And what's interesting is when you pray for something, and, and this is, these are great, greater minds than, than me came up with this idea. Uh, but this is a very old idea that, that God answers your prayers two ways. One is either by diminishing the burden, the other is by increasing your strength. And we know how we normally pray. We almost always pray, and it's understandable, we pray, God, please diminish this burden, right? I don't wanna deal with illness, illness and injury. I don't want my kids to struggle in the ways that they're struggling. I don't want my marriage to feel as terrible as it does. I don't wanna be single still. Whatever it is, it's like we tend to pray some version of, God, I'm asking for this, and what I'm asking for you to do is I'm asking for you for, to diminish the burden. What God often does is instead he increases the strength. The greatest example of this is the Apostle Paul. If you've ever wondered about somebody who struggled with an unanswered prayer request, think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said three different times, this is the Apostle Paul, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is basically what he says. In 2 Corinthians 12, he says three different times, I, I asked the Lord, to take away this thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it is. It's either sin or suffering, most likely. Some people think it was suffering and eye disease. Some people think it's a sin struggle that he talked about in Romans 7. I mean, we don't know. The whole point is he says, Lord, would you take it away? And in the Greek, it's not, he's not saying, I prayed three times about this, like for a few minutes. Like it was Monday and I prayed for a few minutes and then Tuesday I prayed for a few minutes and then on Wednesday I prayed for a few minutes and the Lord didn't answer. The Greek is clear. There were three seasons of my life where I asked God to take this away. You know, you think about, I asked him in my 20s if I could get married. And I asked him in my 30s if I would meet somebody. I asked him in my 40s, I didn't want to grow old. You know, that, that's kind of the idea. I, I asked him in three different seasons. And then if you read, the answer is, my power will be made perfect in your weakness. Paul, the answer is, I'm not diminishing your burden. I'm increasing your strength. So the first thing we do is we ask. Then it says we seek. Say, seek and you will find. 
Now, what do we seek? And by the way, you're seeing again, this is progressive, right? Well, well, here's a good question to ask. What do you normally seek? Like what, right? Because we, we love, right, from a very young age, right? What's, what's the first game that kids love to play? Hide in, seek, right? We love it. We're like built for this. Like we, we love movies about like pirate ships and finding gold. Wait, what do we seek? We seek that which is valuable and we seek that which we lost, Right? And he's saying, and, and what do we seek in prayer? This is, this is so simple, but I wanna make sure we don't miss it. We seek God, right? We, we say this here, we seek his face before we seek his hand. That what we're doing in prayer, in prayer is seeking God. And, and, I, and I'm concerned, not for, maybe for all churches, but I'm concerned for our church that the temptation, because this is the temptation in my life, and so it will affect how I teach and everything else, but the temptation for us is to over-intellectualize our faith and not forget it's about pursuing and seeking after God. Right, so you talk to people about growing. It's like, how do we all talk about growing? It's like, well, read this book and listen to this podcast. You know, I mean, I, I had this image in my mind. If like you guys, you know, say you were visiting me at my house and 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 I had all of these books on my dining room table, and you came over and you're like, this book's on marriage, and this book's on you know understanding women, you know, and this book's on how to be a good husband, and I'm reading all of these books, and you talk to me and you're like, do you ever spend any time with your wife? <laughs> nope, but these books are incredible. They would tell me how to do it if I did. It would be so silly, but that's exactly what we often do, right? Like, when, I, when you read the Old Testament and you read about, I, so, so part of this is you gotta understand, you don't know me that well, but I, I came to Christ in high school in a youth group that was just passionately pursuing God. And I, I mean, you gotta understand, I came to Christ and the first week I come to Christ, someone says, you ever heard of King David? I had not. They said, well, King David wrote the Psalms. Well, I thought it was Palms, but you know, I, could, I didn't, I, anyway, I didn't know the people were silent. But, but I, you know, so, so, so they said, he wrote Psalms. And I'll never forget this. Someone said to me, you know, that King David, he was a warrior. And, oh, really? Yeah. And God said he was a man after his own heart. And I just remember as a young, like Brandon Believer, I thought, that, that's what Christianity is about. It's about being after God's heart. And you go read David, like Psalm 27, he goes, the Lord says, seek my face. I'm going to seek his face. Right, God says, you will, he goes, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Two, uh, two churches ago, when I was working at FPC Durham, one of the godliest men that I've ever known, Andy Davis, the pastor there, still is the pastor there, a friend of mine. One morning he was sharing with our staff, he's just such a godly guy, you know, and, and he said, um, we were talking about quiet times and devotionals. And he said, you know, he said this, he said, uh, I and he was being very, very humble, he'd be embarrassed that I'm even sharing this publicly. But he, uh, he said, I never, ever, ever miss a quiet time. He goes, but sometimes I miss the Lord in my quiet times. And he said, I wake up in the morning, and I believe he's telling the truth. He goes, I wake up in the morning, one of the first verses I think of every morning when I wake up is, seek the Lord while he may be found. And, and, I, and I can't do it quite how Andy did it, but he said, guys, sometimes I read the newspaper before I read my Bible. Or sometimes I read ESPN before I read my Bible. And every time I do that and I start to read my Bible, I, I hear the Lord say to me, you're not gonna be finding me today. And you just think, what kind of relationship do you need to have with the Lord? To say, it's not about, did I, am I caught up in my Bible in a year reading? It's not about, am I making it through this podcast or something? Or did I get my nugget? All those things are good. But am I experiencing a relationship with the living Lord? 
So that's what we seek. We ultimately seek God. Secondly, we seek his will for this, right? Like, so when you're praying about something, you're seeking the scripture. So you think three things. You seek the Lord, you seek the scriptures, and then you seek whatever you're praying about, right? So you seek the scriptures. When you seek the scriptures, you, um, you know, you might be praying. I give these examples a lot, but you might be praying about, you know, a dating relationship or something. And, and then you go, well, let me, okay, I'm praying about it. And I'm really asking the Lord and I'm ready to receive, but I also want to like look at what the scripture says. And, you know, a good question for that is, are you being more guided, guarded, and governed by the scriptures? Is the will of God and the word of God and the ways of God, is all of that informing your prayers? That's why, you know, Jesus talks about praying according to the will of God. And the third thing is, after you seek the Lord and after you seek the scriptures, you seek after that which you're praying for. There's no passivity in any of this. It's like, well, I'm praying for a job and I'm working on my interview skills. Well, praise the Lord. I'm praying for a job and I'm putting my CV together. That's great. I'm praying for a job. I'm learning how to tuck my shirt in. I mean, it, you know, whatever it is, it's like we've got it. We, it's got to be the both and. So then he says, ask, seek, and then here's the third, knock. And this is not like a gentle, polite knock. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon, when he preached on this passage, he said, when you read the word knock, think of being a lonely traveler in a snowstorm and you're freezing and you see one house with a light on inside and you walk up to that house and it is freezing out and you need that door to be opened up to let you in. He said, that's the knocking. It's the idea in some ways of getting loud about it. It's in some ways other people now are hearing you and knowing you're doing this. It's, it's the idea of passionate, persistent, progressive prayer. Let me just ask you this question. What have you stopped praying about? I, I mean, for some of us, there's going to be things it's like, right? Many of us stopped praying about some prodigal in our life. Our son or our daughter or our brother or our roommate from college, we stopped praying for that person. Some of us, we, we, we stopped praying about a relationship being reconciled in our lives. And we just said, well, I'm never going to get along with my mother-in-law or my stepmom or my brother or my sister. We, we've stopped praying about sin struggles in our lives, right? We're like, well, I traded it in for a sin that's easier to hide, so that'll work out. I traded a big sin in for a smaller sin, so I'll stop praying about this. Sometimes we stop praying about God. How do you want to use me in the life of other people? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, ask. He's saying, seek. He's saying, knock. And it'll be given, and you'll find, and it'll be open. Now, that's interesting. That's the opposite of what the world says. The world is fine with saying, seek, but it says, you'll never find right? It's okay in this world. It's okay to spiritually seek. It's just not okay to spiritually find. It's, 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 it's not okay to go, I found it. I found, it's actually a person. It's actually Jesus Christ. He's at the end of the road. He's the answer to all the questions. I have sought and I have found. And so Jesus says, look, look at the small story he tells. In the small story, um, on uh, verse nine, here's what he says. He said, or which one of you if, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because Pastor Stephen did a great job um, a couple weeks ago talking about the father heart of God. The father heart of God is, that, is, is, is central and essential to all of our praying, right? So again and again, when you see scripture, in scripture, in the New Testament, commands to pray, usually connected to it is a dad, an idea of God is my dad, God is my father. But what I wanna focus on right here is it says that he will give good gifts. Now, here's the interesting thing. In other words, I should be praying and I should be expecting 
and anticipating God to give me a good gift in my prayer. And, and I mean, this may be taking it too far, but it's in some ways should be like almost every day is Christmas Eve. You know what I mean? Not, maybe not to that extent, but what's, what's so great about Christmas Eve? The next day. It's like the anticipation, the expectation that God's going to do something is even better sometimes than it happening. And, 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 uh, but God does do things and God does meet our expectations. And, and if you know people who pray a lot, like if you, if you know people who are really asking and seeking and knocking, they have more interesting lives than the rest of us. They're always like having things happen in their life. It's like, why is that happening? It's like, well, I think because you're asking and then you're expecting and you're anticipating. Well, he says, God will give good gifts. Now, what are the good gifts? We tend to think of felt needs, temporal needs, physical needs, right? And that's why we're so frustrated in prayer. We're like, well, I prayed for the grade and, and I got a C and the, my atheist friend got an A. You know, we're like, I don't get it. Like, I, well, I prayed, for the, I prayed for the, you know, girlfriend and this guy over here has all these girls and he never prays about it. It's like, well, that's actually not, I mean, you can pray about those things. But there are, I want, what I just want to focus on for a few minutes is there are certain good gifts. And I want us to think about this together. There are certain good gifts that, on, that only come to us from God through prayer. And it's not a career. And it's not a spouse. You can pray for those things. And it's not a good grade. The, the gifts, let me give you a couple of them. Because, and here's where I get this from. If you cross-reference, which means look at this same passage in a different gospel. Jesus says, Does, will not God give good gifts to those who ask him? And then he says, uh, he says afterwards, he says, and will, not, and will God not give us the Holy Spirit? That really, the best gifts in life, let me give you, so here's a, here's a couple gifts that only come through prayer. Salvation. You can't get it any other way. The gift of salvation, if you're here, you're not a believer. If you're watching online, you're not a believer. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and you believe he rose from the dead, and you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. Actually, the way that a person becomes a Christian is by praying. It's unbelievable. How about, how about ongoing forgiveness and cleansing and comfort from God? It only comes through prayer. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How about wisdom for what we should do next? Well, that's James chapter one. If you pray for wisdom, God will give it. What about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So many of our prayers are about comfort instead of conformity to Christ. And he's saying, what if we prayed for these things? So this is the heart of prayer is that I wanna ask God, I wanna seek, I wanna knock, and I believe that God gives me good gifts. Often, it's not that I ask for bread and he gives me a stone. It's that I often ask for a stone and he gives me bread instead. I'm like, I, 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 oh, okay, you know? And, and then he ends with, I want you to see this. We have a little bit of time left together. Uh, he ends, after giving a, 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 on prayer, he ends with a very famous rule. What's, what's been called the golden rule. And this was called the golden rule because some famous emperor in the 200s liked it so much, he embrazened it in gold behind his throne. He thought it was so comprehensive. That's how it got called the golden rule. And I know some of you are like, I know the golden rule. He who has the gold makes the rules. No, that's not the golden rule, okay? Uh, not the golden rule. Here's the golden rule. Verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, just for a minute here. What's interesting about the golden rule is, is it's not, Jesus isn't the first one to say something like this. So it's a very, the, the idea of do unto others and have it related to how you are and how you feel is, is, is very, very old. In fact, but it's, this is interesting. Jesus is the first person to put it in the positive. So there's a very famous story of Rabbi Hillel. If you ever go to college campuses, there'll always be the Hillel group is the Jewish group. That's the Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel, very old rabbi there before Jesus, uh, 
was born in human nature. Uh, Rabbi Hillel was around, and there was a very famous story where they said to Rabbi Hillel, who was really well known, they said, I want you to stand on one leg and summarize the entire Old Testament, or the whole law. Uh, I want you to stand on one leg and do it. So he, I won't do this for, I won't stand on one leg here, but, um, but he stood on one leg and he basically said, here is the whole law in one sentence. Do not do to others that which you hate. And it caught on and it became very, very popular. But if you think about it, it's a very limiting principle. It's like, it, 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 it's, it's, it's good. I mean, you could follow it, but it, it just basically tells you what not to do, not what you should do. Jesus comes and he expands it and he enhances it. Right? And he roots it in, in a realization that we really do love ourselves. And we know what we would want. Right? And by the way, if you ever want to know, like, um, what is evil? We don't have time to talk about this a lot. But, but what evil is, is evil is intelligence. It, it's intelligent. Evil is always intelligent. Because what happens in evil is I think, what would I not, what would be the worst thing that could happen to me? And how, how would I hate it? Good, I'll do that to you. That's evil. I understand myself. I understand that I'm weak. I understand that that would hurt me. And then I just do it to you. That's what evil is. Now, what love is, is, is what the good I want people to do to me, I'm going to do to you. And guess what? This is exactly what Christ modeled for us. God modeled this perfectly. He served us before he ever asked us to serve him. He sacrificed before he ever asked us to sacrifice. He came to earth before he asked us to go and tell anybody else. And Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he actually, I want to read this to you. It'll be on the screen behind me. In John 13, as he's about to head to the cross, his final command to his disciples, he says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, he's gonna deepen it, just as I have loved you. So he's not just saying love one another how you would like to be loved or treat one another how you would like to be treated. He deepens it one more level and says, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I love this. Christ comes and he puts himself at the very center of this command. Because it's very interesting. We, we read in this passage that we are to seek after God, right? That we are to ask, to seek, and to find. That's exactly what God did to us first. When Jesus Christ comes to earth and people say, what, why are you here for? He says, one of the things he loves to say is the son of man, which is one of his favorite designations for himself. He says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And not only does he seek after us far before we could ever seek him, but the Bible says in the book of Revelation chapter three, Jesus does this interesting thing where Jesus says to one of the churches in Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Before you're to knock, before you're to ask anything, you need to understand that Jesus Christ first initiates this relationship and he knocks on the door. In fact, if you take another illustration he uses, in John chapter 10, he goes, hey guys, I am the door. I'm everything. I, I don't just seek. I do that too. I seek and I find. And when I find, I knock. And I'm also the door. And anybody who will open the door, I will come in and I will eat with him. And for some of you, before you can do any other asking, before you can do any other seeking, before you can do any other knocking, the Bible says this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that amazing? That actually through all the scripture, there's a couple times where the apostle Paul writes to the church. He goes, to those who call on the name of the Lord. That's actually how he defines the church. For the rest of us, those who said, hey, I've trusted in Christ. I've opened the door. I've welcomed him in. The question to us is, are we willing to ask and are we willing to seek and are we willing to knock 
for those that we love, for people in our lives who are far from God and are close to us. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a very famous verse. I'll read this to you real quick. It says this, in Ezekiel 22, God says this. He said, I sought for a man among them. This is God looking over an area that he had to destroy. He said, I sought for a man among them who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. It's one of the saddest verses in the Old Testament. God said, I was looking for somebody to pray for that city or to pray for that person, and I found none. Let's go to the Lord right now to pray for our city, to ask, to seek, and to knock. Let's pray. Lord, what an incredible promise that we have, that if we ask, we will be given. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, it will be open. Lord, we ask for our city, Lord. Lord, we, we pray, we ask humbly, Lord. We know that we didn't find salvation, you found us. Lord, and we ask that many people in our city would come to faith in Christ. So we, we pray for families who are now coming out of COVID. Lord, and everybody's asking some questions as we re-enter this new and next normal, Lord. And we pray that we and all the good gospel preaching churches in our city would reach out to them, Lord. That the people in our lives that each of us interact with, our coworkers, our classmates, our neighbors, our friends, our family, that we would be committed to praying for them, Lord. Lord, and then as we pray, we would actually also be committed to treating them, not just as we would wanna be treated, but even deeper, that we would treat other people as you have treated us. You have forgiven us. You have sacrificed for us. You have loved us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.